listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. Our topic today is developing teams of rainmakers. How do you develop people to become rainmakers? We're talking to somebody that knows more about this than anybody else I've ever, ever met, and his name is Jeff Kay. Jeff Kay has been in the executive search industry for over three decades. He's built the largest single-site recruiting company in the United States, Kay Bassman. He's the founder of Next Level Exchange and also the co-managing director of Sanford Rose Associates, which is a very large and highly regarded franchise or company for the recruiting industry, and one of which I'm a proud member. Jeff has always been the smartest man in the room and has been eager to help me solve some of my own pressing challenges, as he's done many times, probably over the past 10 years, when I've been closely affiliated with him and his companies. You're going to get some great ideas that you can take today and see a marked improvement in how you manage and lead your team. Make sure you connect with Jeff. We're going to put all of his contact information and links on the show notes. And as always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Jeff today. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the show. We have Jeff Kay talking about developing rainmakers. Jeff, thanks for joining me on the show. Great to be here, Scott. You're the best. You're the best, man. We're like brothers. You know, it's like we grew up together. So, Jeff, I've known you for a long time. You've been in the executive search industry for a long time. Everybody in the recruiting industry knows you. And you have done something that nobody else has done. You've built a thriving organization full of rainmakers. And today we're talking about developing rainmakers. So the people listening, they're people that are producing and they've got a team of people that they would hope to start producing. Let's kind of start top of mind. What do you think are the top points that people should keep in mind as they're developing their team and they're developing new rainmakers? That's a great question, Scott. I'll start with this premise. The very things that make a great rainmaker, when you think of those, there's a certain characteristics that you would describe those people as, right? They're kind of fearless. They're willing to do the, some things that other people find uncomfortable. They are engaging. They have great personalities. Many times they can be the alpha type of an individual. There's a draw to them. There's a magnetism. But there's very much characteristics that allow for an individual, to use an analogy, to be a great musician, to be a great singer, to be the lead singer, the individual that people want to go hear. And those are characteristics that people have developed to go out and frankly, secure great quantity of quality clients, <laughs> thus to be able to generate rain. However, the competency to then lead those individuals, to work with those individuals, to inspire those individuals, to bring out the best in those people, sometimes can be very different. Yeah. So this could be true if you talked about, well, what makes a great player on a field and what makes the great coach to inspire those players? Potentially, those are conflicting agendas. The great rock star may not be the person that's the best producer in the music studio. The best rainmaker, because you are a great rainmaker, if you're a great surgeon, does that make you a great developer of other surgeons? Does that make you a great surgeon? If right. you're a phenomenal litigator or a phenomenal in rainmaking and professional services, 
what, how does that translate to your ability to identify talent, develop that talent, inspire that talent, and retain that talent? And because you're good in singing doesn't necessarily make you a good record label owner and producer. And that requires some humility to recognize embracing all of the things that make you great, which is awesome, but recognizing mm-hmm. that maybe I need some new tools in my tool, but in my bag to allow me to become great in what I want to be in developing a team, inspiring other people and in growing a practice or a firm or a team, not just growing by getting more clients. It does. And so this would, let's say this is insight number one, that it's a different core competency. And what's ironic is that those that are the great stars on the field in business get promoted to run the team. But that's not what's caused them to be successful. So how does somebody who is that rainmaker, they are a star, they are the center of the firm, and they get the call, and they've got people now that they have to manage to help do the work and serve those clients. What should be on their mind as they start seeing their team growing? So two things. One, I'll just tell you, the Peter Drucker created a thing called the Peter Principle. A lot of people have heard of it. And it is literally getting promoted into the level where you're finally promoted to the level of your incompetence. <laughs> That's how we created it. But my answer for you is in order to get to the place where you are developing other individuals and thinking about what those kind of competencies that you need to have to develop those individuals, you start with recognizing one thing. What made you great as a rainmaker? Well, I was able to develop clients. I was able to figure out how to demonstrate credibility, demonstrate connectivity relationship building ability that's usually built on what? Service. Hey, I'm going to be a great service provider to you, client. I'm going to deliver a world-class service because that is my client. So here's the big aha. Everybody on your team is your internal client. Just treat them that same way. Yeah, I have my external clients. Those are the organizations that generate the revenue, but I have my internal clients. So instead of seeing them, even though they might legally be classified as your your employees or they work for me, treat them as if they are clients whose job is for you to serve them too. Let me stop you right there. I think that is insightful. And I'd be willing to put money on this. I would be willing to put a lot of money on this, that 90% of the people listening to this have never thought of their colleagues as their customers or as their clients. When in your career professionally, did you change the way you thought about people like that? Because I've heard you talk about the inverse pyramid and, and elaborate that on that also, please. Sure. So the inverse pyramid is simply when the senior leader at the organization, CEO or managing partner, whatever it is, is literally at the bottom of the pyramid, not at the top. Yeah. So an upside down pyramid, it reinforces the, the concept that everyone is serving someone. Yeah. And therefore, that mindset takes on everything becomes pervasive in the organization that way. So there's a lot of things to just check yourself in, right? So think of the vocabulary that you utilize with your clients. Mm-hmm. Just think of the vocabulary. Would you use that same vocabulary? Do you use the same vocabulary when talking to your people? Are you more careful? Would you say, you know what, if you're not happy with what's going on with someone on your team, well, you're, uh, I'm frustrated, you haven't done this, I did, I'm not paying you to do that. Would you literally talk to your client that way? Yeah. Who's ironically, if you think about it, if you develop an individual, that person grows and ultimately becomes a rainmaker and you are economically benefiting from the development of another person. And that person's with you a decade. How much financial benefit will you accrue from that individual? Now, 
in many cases, it's more than your number one client will actually generate for you. So if the number one generating income source can be a future individual you develop, more than your top client, why would you want to spend as much energy focusing that way? So if you start with that framing, then everything flows out, which is if I can work with them in a way that brings out the best and allows them to see me as a provider of service to them to help them achieve what they otherwise wouldn't, then they're going to be inspired to do more, to achieve more, and importantly, to be retained. First of all, I'm going to attract them. And second of all, I'm going to help develop them and grow them into being something they otherwise would not have been. Mm -hmm. And then that result is um, retention. So the starting place is, do you work with every client the same way? Do you treat every client the same and you talk to them the same and you have their same? No, of course not. You would like, no, but no one ever thinks of like situational client development. But of course, that's what we all do. We all work with companies in the way that we know serving them is going to produce the result they want. Yeah, that's the name of my next book, by the way, Situational Client Development, Jeff. Perfect. Well, that's idea. great. So situational <laughs> leadership <laughs> means I got to work with people that's right. the right way. So yeah. I'll give you a, a real quick analogy, but I think it's okay. a perfect one for developing people. And we all can connect with this one. So you go into a gym and there's a personal trainer there. So I'm going to give you two different types of personal trainers. Personal trainer, number one says, so here's what the workout is going to be. Here's what you're going to need to do. Here's the expectations. This is how many push-ups, setups. This is what your diet's going to look like. This is what you're going to do, et cetera. And you're going to be a world-class bodybuilder. And your mindset is, that's interesting. I really just want to run marathons. I want to be a CrossFit champion. I want to be a power lifter. But that's not an option, see? Because I'm a trainer. This is the way I train people. This is what you need to do. And if you want to be on my team, this is how you're going to do it. And I'm going to only develop metaphorically body. Now, you think about walking into the gym. I guess if you want to be a bodybuilder, perfect, jackpot. You'll like that style. But instead, what about the personal trainer says, Scott, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to achieve? What is it that you want? Now, can I have permission to hold you accountable to what you just said? I'm not telling you what you need to do. I'm going to hold you accountable to what you said you want to do and share with you the very things that are necessary to do that. So yeah. now, because what you want is bodybuilder, CrossFit, marathon runner, et cetera, I'm going to work with you differently and customize your diet, your workout plan, your cardio, your weight training, all around what? What it is yeah. that you want to accomplish. Now, somebody might say to me, well, what if that person doesn't really want a lot? They just want to you know, work out once a week. They don't really want to just talk to a trainer. They want to go, well, then I'm not going to put you on my team. I don't need to take you on as an internal client. You will not earn the spot. You have to have a certain desire to achieve something to deserve that spot. But once you do, then I'm going to work with you to help you accomplish what you want. And what I can hold you accountable to is not what I want. So I don't believe in quotas and standards. And I want to hold you accountable to what you said. But I would then say to that individual, we're going to put this plan together. I'm going to work with you, support you, encourage you, challenge you, educate you, everything in the world. But that's a two-way street. So you're going to have to deliver by only showing up and doing the things that you need to do in support of helping you achieve what we both agreed to. So someday in the future, when you go, you know, I just don't feel like it today. I need to get the permission to go, well, you need to get on the ground and go do those pushups anyway. But you said you were going to do 15. You've only done 10. Get back on the ground again. I'm not being the mean guy. I'm being your supporter by pushing you to achieve what you want. Yeah. It's not for me. It's for you. So if everything can be seen through every leader is a personal trainer helping someone accomplish what they want, 
Boy, does that look a lot different than a drill sergeant, which you know really well personally, right? From the Navy. <laughs> what does that look a lot different than a drill sergeant saying, here's what you need to do. Here's how you'll do it. This is the way you'll do it. And if you don't like it, you should go somewhere else. I'm not right. saying there's not a room for a drill sergeant in some situations, but that's not, you know, that's not the best hammer that's going to inspire people. And it's certainly not going to retain them. I think these are great lessons, Jeff. There's probably about four or five key lessons and insights that you've shared just now. Let me ask you about this. You mentioned humility. I want to find out from you, what is your definition of that? And how can somebody listening today, how can they grow in their humility? Well, that's a great question. I'm planning on writing a book called How to Be Humble Like Me. So, joke. (laughs) You're proud of your humility. (laughs) People, what is your number one characteristic? Probably my humility. So, funny guy. You know, humility to me is the desire to ensure that everyone else around you achieves and it, it receives the credit. If you don't have to keep score, if the answer, if, if you went out and achieved something and you're on a team, the response should be what we did, even if it's you. So yeah. humility to me is the willingness to ensure that you can give praise and credit to the collective and don't need it for yourself. Those individuals, and it's it's a great question. Here's why. If you were using wanting a world-class litigator to help you in something, don't you kind of want that person to have some confidence and maybe a swagger? Yeah, and, right. and like the person on the operating table doesn't want a surgeon going, well, you know, maybe it'll work. I don't want to be overly, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be humble about it. I'm not, you know, I'm a good surgeon. But no, I do not want humility from my surgeon or from my litigator, right? Or from the person that's doing my taxes or the individual that's helping me find the best talent as but a professional. I want confidence, yeah. gravitas. And that sometimes be careful, can lead to a little bit of cockiness, which you go, that's okay. I just don't want arrogance. Now, that's the rainmaker. That can't be the development of the future people that are on your team that are rainmakers. That's the shift. The competency that makes you the great world-class litigator has to shift and adjust and say, well, now when it's the team of people, that's when humility most importantly needs to kick in. And a lot of it is done through the way you treat people the idea behind abundance, the mindset behind what team looks like, the willingness to be transparent, demonstrating, you know, people don't care what you know until that you know that you care. So authentic leadership and caring and empathy and all of those characteristics are, are vital to developing other individuals where sometimes they're not as vital. I didn't say they're not vital, not as vital to developing clients. So let me ask you this then. What are some of the pitfalls? As somebody who's listening to this, the insights that you're sharing are spot on. They want to grow and they want to build their team of rainmakers. What are some of the big pitfalls that you've seen people fall into where they mess up as they're leading a team? Yeah, that is a great question. I'll give you the number one. It's consistency. When you think of what is the bedrock of trust in a relationship? you know, integrity. I'll say what I'm going to do and I'm going to do what I'm going to say. It's reliability. It's consistency. It's, I know we've known each other for years, right? There is a foundation of trust between us that we know the intent, the the mindset of each other. Now, if instead you had this mindset, well, I'm going to talk to Jeff, but you know, I got to be careful. I don't know what mood I'm going to catch him in. You know, it all depends. Sometimes when I interact with him, you know, when things have gone well, when he wins in court, boy, you know, that's the time to go talk to them about things. And when you just <laughs> lost, that's not. 
Right. If you feel that you are a person who does not have consistency in the way that you operate, then other individuals look at you as the roller coaster leader. Yeah. By the way, what's the roller coaster producer look like? Well, they're really great. And then they're in a slump and they're great. And I can't rely on them. And that is a leadership issue that you begins to put people in a place that you go, maybe I need to put them on a performance plan because they're inconsistent. And, and no one wants to develop and lead people that are inconsistent, right? That's right. think of any endeavor. Do you like inconsistency of someone or team? No. How about, you know, athletics? Do you want to watch a player who's, you know, they're good on this one and not? No, you want consistency of behavior. So too of leaders and managers. So number one, no matter how you actually feel inside, no matter what your mood is, no matter what your how your day went, people can't see that when they approach you and how they approach you is going to be met differently based on, quote, your day, your mood, the time of the day, when, you know, the planetary alignment is there. It needs to be consistent. And then I think a, a close second is transparency the willingness to be open, to take responsibility, to let the team weigh in if you want them to ultimately buy in. Yeah. Uh, I have something that I've done for decades, Scott, and I don't mean this in a dismissive way. My feeling on responsibility and failure is it's just my fault. Yeah. No matter what, it's just my fault. I'm 100% responsible for failure. And by the way, this takes a lot to get here. And I don't mean just some fake dismissive thing. I mean like, well, this person's terrible. They're rotten. They didn't do good things. I shouldn't have hired them. Aren't I responsible for hiring an idiot? I hired the person that's not good by mistake. So if you take a 100% mindset of responsibility, here's the reason for that. We then don't have to meet and talk about blame, do we? And if we're talking about blame, we're in the rearview mirror. We're not doing anything to change the future. So here's my mindset. I'm 100% responsible. I've clearly failed to develop you in the way that needs to work. So this is on me. I have failed. It's not your fault. It's mine. 100%. Now, let's focus on the future. We're now looking out the windshield. What are we going to do differently to achieve a different result? What behavioral changes need to take place? What activities do we need to look at? What things should I monitor? What education do you need? What standards do we need to hold you accountable to? Because clearly, what's been done in the past, again, by me as the leader, has failed, which I am 100% responsible for. That's a pretty big, bold leap to assume uh, responsibility versus casting blame. Even, this is the big one, even when kind of they deserve it. Now, if there's an egregious issue, someone stole, no, the reason why they were a thief is not your fault. You didn't. You don't take blame for, right. but in a weird way, you can say, yes, clearly I have failed by failing to identify that this individual has that level of low integrity and I shouldn't have brought them into my team. They're going to be leaving my team instantaneously. But when someone else said, what happened? Well, they were a thief. I I hired a thief. I failed. I should have seen that coming. I'm going to work harder to not bring people like that on my team. 100% responsibility, true transparency with the people that you work with, modeling behaviors that you want other people to do. But the top one to me is just really being consistent. Yeah. And these are not easy. These are not easy things that you're talking about, Jeff. I think it takes a lot. And you referenced this earlier, the EQ. Talk about that. What does that mean? Emotional. What yeah. do you call it? The emotional, emotional intelligence. intelligence. And there's yeah, a emotional lot of intelligence. written on emotional intelligence. Um, Daniel Goldman is sort of the father yeah, yeah. of EQ. And there's a lot of facets and components to it. But the centerpiece to me of, of EQ, there's a lot of technical legal definitions or vocabulary definitions, but I'm going to think through this line. Empathy is one of the center cards of it. Yeah. So 
Here's an interesting thing to think of that's a great leadership thing. So we've all held your golden rule, right? So I won't put you on the spot, but I would say if I ask most people like, so do you believe in the golden rule? Most people are like, sure, of course I do. I mean, that's biblical to some people and other individuals. It's, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Great. And then I say, just to be shocking, what if I said to you that the golden rule is actually for narcissists? <laughs> and the reason is heresy. The, the golden rule says treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, that makes an assumption that the entire world is just like you. Yeah. I like it when someone yells at me and tells me what to do. Well, not everybody does. Not everybody does. I don't get motivated by the carrot. I'm motivated by the stick. Not everybody. So the platinum rule, little shift of this is do unto others is the way they would have you do unto them. Well, I liked how you gave the example. You wouldn't treat every client the same way, would you? I think that's a great way to think of this. So the platinum rule by treating people the way that they want to be treated and then learning enough about that person to understand how to bring out the best in them, how to inspire them. How do they work? I just said yesterday to somebody where I was in Austin visiting an, an office in our network. And I said, they asked me about somebody and I said, should I do this and put them on a performance plan? And my response was no, that individual is the type of individual that is not going to be motivated by a performance plan. That individual is going to be motivated by, you know, holding that person accountable to the best version of themselves. But how about a different way of saying the achievement that you have is here. Your potential is so much more. There is a gap between where you are and where I see you being. I am dedicated and committing to helping you close that gap. Let's talk about that gap. And let's figure out what we can do to help you achieve your own pun intended next level. What can we do to help to close that gap between your achievement and potential? Because I see it there. And then aren't you kind of about to start putting a performance plan in place? But you noticed I never used those words because of that person. Yeah. Yeah. That is immediately a negative. And this individual who you're trying to inspire because one of the issues is lack of confidence in the business, you're just going to shatter their entire lack of confidence by reinforcing the reason to have it that they might be fired soon. Yeah. So. We're another person that's, you know, you, if I was working with you, I'd be like, Scott, come on, man. Like, right. You know, you, you need to do this. Your ass needs to get in gear. You need to be the person, you know, you can be, and you've not delivered and you know, you haven't. And here's what needs that could be a little more directive because that's your style. You know, you're that type of person. So situational leadership means I have to be able to work with the individuals in the way that's going to best support them. I'm going to be real clear, final comment. It doesn't mean that there's not accountability and it doesn't mean there's not people you hold them accountable and responsible to deliver and hold them accountable to that delivery of service and hold them accountable to whatever it is that your team needs. I want to make sure it's clear. This is not some puffy thing. It's having love and profit, having accountability, having a culture of excellence, mm-hmm. of exceeding expectations and of me supporting and nurturing and encouragement and empathy and being there for you and being you know, the mentor to help guide you in your career, these are not mutually exclusive concepts. They're not, they're polarities to manage. They're not problems to be solved. Right. Well, Jeff, let me ask you this. You always have great wisdom. What are some books that people should be reading? What are some of the books that have impacted you the most in some of these areas that you're talking about? That's a great question. So probably the biggest one in those into professional service. So there was, um, the CEO of Bain, and I think the high-level professor at Harvard wrote a book called Aligning the Stars. Yeah. I remember uh, Wittenberg gave me that book when yeah, I visited yeah, about you all years ago, right? It's been a yeah. whole book, but it's great. And it really is developing stars, rainmakers, in a professional services business. 
And interestingly enough, it actually gives examples. And I'm talking law firms, management consulting firms, retained search firms, CPA firms. So it literally talks about it. And the essence is everybody at some point has the opportunity that's in a partnership track to be an owner, to be a leader, to be a producer. And the idea is how to navigate sometimes what are three different hats, right? The hat is the rainmaker, the hat is the owner, the hat is the leader. Sometimes they're conflicting and being able to you know, have two opposing views of the mind at the same time, which is what F. Scott Fitzgerald said is a sign of first-rate intelligence to me. <laughs> that's a great one. There's another one that was written by a guy named James Autry 20-some-odd years ago. It's just called Love and Profit, and I loved it. It was just simple, easy read, and it's just about, you know, the idea of caring and authentic leadership. And then there's probably another one, The Corporate Mystic. That's another good one. That's an oldie but goodie. So there's a plenty of them around now, but those are ones that I think if you're looking to develop you know, there's plenty, by the way, put in situational leadership, authentic leadership, caring leadership, uh, leading with emotional intelligence. There's Daniel Goleman. You will not run out of books, topics, podcasts, and things along this level. The area is, and again, back to this exercise thing, it's like diet. You want information on diet? There's no shortage of content. The question is, how will you apply what it is that you learn? I could right. go read a thousand books on diet, listen to a million podcasts, but if I go and consume and eat like crap all day long, well, there's a big difference between being knowledgeable on a topic and demonstrating that knowledge through action. So I would say no matter what book, podcast thing you do, the key is implementation and understanding that some things take a long time and a journey of developing your skill is not like I have to go learn this new area of patent law and I'm going to go to this conference for two days. And at the end of it, I will now understand it. I'm going to go learn the new tax law changes of such and such. And at the end of this three days of reading the book, I will be more knowledgeable. Right. This is continual, constant development over a long time period where it is the, for those who understand this reference, it's the Andy Dufresne in Shawshank that you're going to do a couple of handfuls of dirt a day for right, right, right. a 500-yard journey of perpetual, continuous development. That's how I would view leadership, not as an event, but as a continual journey to work on yourself, to be in a better position to work on developing others. Well, Jeff, this is great. As we bring things to a close, let's talk about actions. What are three action steps people can take to really start implementing some of these ideas that you've shared with us today? Yeah, also great. So the first one is the hardest. And I'm going to say it is to seek to understand by asking people. And it's real tough to ask this question, which is, the ideas of, Scott, how can I do a better job working with you? What am I doing that is not working? Yeah. What things do I do being authentic? And I'm seeking to really work, you know, in, in being better. How can I be a better leader for you? What are you not getting that you wish you were? So in the recruiting business, we know of these things called a retention interview. It's like literally going to somebody that you like on your team and doing an interview to ensure retention. It's kind of what it is, right? Hey. So the willingness to be vulnerable by asking the people that you lead, not, hey, how am I doing as a leader? Oh, you're great. <laughs> no fishing for compliments. Like you can even start by saying, let me set the ground rule. I'm asking you not to say one complimentary thing about anything that I do well. So let's only focus on those areas of opportunities for improvement. So That's that great. would be it. What's but number two? Yeah, second might be the same kind of thing but now it's a different group. It's your peer group. Okay. Your peer group in any organization, there are individuals 
who have developed great rainmaking capabilities and they've developed rainmakers. There might be a person over here that rain makes more than a person. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this person rain makes unit X, doesn't matter, irrelevant the number. This person rain makes a million dollars. This person only rain makes 600,000, but has developed 10 other 600,000 or rainmakers. Which one's developing more to the firm? Or insert right. whatever numbers you want. Right. So asking your peer group for advice, mm. you have developed four people. So-and-so has developed 14. Maybe that person internal in your organization might be a really good person to ask. Yeah, right. Because clearly they've been successful. So you talk about that humility again, going to the individuals and asking them those questions and learning that there is a time for you to be the expert, for you to speak, for you to talk, for you to deliver advice. This is one of those times where if I'm sitting there and I'm successful as a CEO of a search firm, but I had the opportunity to meet with a CEO of a billion dollar search firm. Am I going to spend that time telling them about myself? Or am I going to spend mm-hmm. that time asking what that person did to help grow a billion-dollar search for? I'm going to spend 95% of that time asking questions, clarifying, and seeking to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Find the people that are achieving what you want and ask them. Take great. great notes. Listen. Be an incredible student. The best teachers are actually incredible students. That's the irony. Yeah. yeah. And the third one, and I'm not just saying this, Scott, you have been to me, and I, I have no reason to say this. You have been an avid lifetime learner. That's probably the single thing I know about you. You paint, <laughs> you're dedicated to you know growing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play golf and get better at it. I'm gonna get better in card counting. I'm gonna be a yeah. world-class delivery and client services. I'm gonna be a prolific rainmaker in the legal market. Yeah. Whatever you set your mind to, you do it, but it's not just because you have talent. Sure, right? That's I don't mind dismissive about that. It's great. There's a lot of people with talent. What you do, in my opinion, is you're an avid learner. You seek and you're constantly trying to do new things to grow. So my advice is anyone that is in a position that wants to grow and develop themselves, I'm not going to attempt to suggest that there's a flood of people, but I'd be reaching out to you. You'd be one of the people I'd reach out to. So you ask me for an action step. Yeah. Call Scott Love. (laughs) You go, hey, Scott. I'm going to get better at X, Y, and Z. You've seen a lot of, in your world, right? You've worked with a ton of world-class law firms. You know yeah. why people go to work for a company. You know why they leave. You know what yeah. good leaders look like. You know what, what makes a, a position easy to fill and what makes it a nightmare. And a lot of times, whether you know it, it's the person that they're going to be reporting to. Well, That's what does right. that look like? Who better to give someone advice on what a great leader looks like than the person that places people with it? So that's not a you know a gratuitous comment. That is authentically, you're in a strong position to be able to give people insight because you work with world-class leaders. And I'm sure you probably sometimes work with world-class rainmakers who have challenging times in attracting and retaining great clients. And you right. So there's three. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. I'm trying to think of my feigned humility response, but I can't come <laughs> up with anything. So I'll just say thank you. And factually, there is more that I don't know than what I do know. So until that changes, I'm going to be a lifetime learner. Uh, my next project up is becoming a jazz blues harmonica player. I'm actually going to start taking lessons on that shortly. So that's my next thing. <laughs> you are always uh, envelope and doing things. And last comment I'll make is if there's a pie chart, I saw this one time years ago, and it says DK, K, DK, DK. And what it stands for is here's what I know. This is the information knowledge that I know. I know this. And there's another bucket says, here's what I don't know. I know that I'm not fluent in Mandarin. Like, then there's a world called, I don't know what I don't know. You don't even know what you don't know. That's the world of discovery and science. It's the world of discovery in yourself, by the way. When you think of 
discoveries that are out there. What are we really doing? We're uncovering what was already there. We're not discovering. We didn't discover microwaves. We uncovered they were there. Well, I would suggest that what you just said is pretty profound, really profound, because that I don't know what I don't know. That's the place of possibility of growth. Absolutely. That's the possibility for learning. And what you're really doing is you're really uncovering what's already in you. When you become someone that is different than who you are today, that didn't get it off of a shelf and shove it inside of you. You uncovered what was already sitting inside of you. And those are the most incredible discoveries you can make, the discovery inside you. And that's what you're doing. But I think that's a a great way to leave it, which is be dedicated to the world of I don't know what I don't know. That's That's where the greatest opportunities for growth come from. Absolutely, Jeff. And I've actually been thinking that way even before I heard Rumsfeld talk about the known knowns and the known unknowns and all that. I think it's a healthy way to look that there are things that I I know that I know, things I know that I don't know, things that I don't know that I know, and things that I don't know that I, I don't know. And that's the area where you really need to spend time working. And we've spent a lot of time working on this, Jeff. I want to thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. We'll have you back on the show here in a few months. And thanks again for being a great guest, Jeff. Oh, It's my pleasure, Scott. Thank you. And thank you for your service, always. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.